So then the next question for me is, okay, but John, why is loving people so important? Like, I understand why you're telling us it over and over again, because we're probably not listening. But why is this your kitchen cabinet door? And I think John's text this morning illuminates some of that for us. We're going to start in verse 11 of chapter 3. And John tells us that loving each other, loving people is important because we have passed from death to life. Starting in verse 11, he says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. He murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that as followers of Jesus, we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brothers. How do we know that we've passed from death to life? John says we know it because we love people. Whoever does not love, John says, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now let me address a little bit of an elephant in the text there just for a second. What John is not saying, John is not saying that if anybody murders anybody, they can never go to heaven. That's not what John is saying. We know that's not true because of thousands of other scriptures that affirm in us that there is nothing that cannot be forgiven in Jesus. But what John is saying is that if you are actively murdering people, then the love of Jesus might not be in you. I think we might agree with that this morning. Amen. All right. Just make it draw on a baseline for where we're at here. All right. But this is John's theme over and over again throughout his letter. This idea that you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, we are no longer who we used to be. Now, sometimes John says it's darkness to light. Sometimes now he says it's death to life. There's all kinds of ways to illustrate it, but the same thing is true. John is constantly saying that if you and I are a follower of Jesus, we are no longer who we used to be. So the natural conclusion is that we should no longer be living and loving the same way we used to. John reminds us that we have to live and love differently. Because we are no longer this person, we are now a new creation in Jesus. So now we have to live like Jesus, like life, not like death. We have to love people like Jesus did, not like we did before. John reminds us in this text that those of us who do not love, he says we are not abiding in Jesus. In fact, he says if we can't love each other, we're actually abiding in death. Bible scholar Kent Hughes says it this way. He says what John is really saying is when we don't love people, the smell of the grave is on us. That makes sense to me because Paul in one of his letters said that you and I are actually supposed to be the aroma of Jesus. So why is this important? Well, essentially John says because you're supposed to smell different. He says you're not who you used to be. See, the way that the world who does not know Jesus often responds, the, the way that they often talk, the way that they often post, the way that they do things in their life, it, it has a smell of death. It, it's icky. It's ugly. It, it's, it's not who Jesus would be. But John says if you and I are in Christ, we're supposed to be the opposite. John says we're supposed to be full of grace. We're supposed to be quick to forgive. We're supposed to be encouraging John says that the way we talk, the way we post, the way we respond, it should be in a way that points people to Jesus. It should smell like Jesus. And so
And so, church, let me ask you a question that has convicted me all week. How do you smell? Is the way that you and I talk, is the way that you and I post, is the way that you and I live, does it smell like Jesus or does it smell like
receptive to Jesus, and he gave his life to Christ. In Hamilton, Ontario, four years later, this man was one of the few who survived. And he told the story of how John Harper had led him to Jesus and how he had seen John swimming to help other people and that before succumbing to the frigid waters, Harper's last words were, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Church, if you know Jesus, it should change how you live. It should change what scares us doesn't. It should change our priorities. It should change how we love people. Because we have been called out of death into life. John goes on in our text this morning. In verse 16, he reminds us that we love. Why is this important? Well, because Jesus laid down his life for us out of he says, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in the word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Bible scholar Daniel Aiken says, if you want to see what love is, look at the he says, the Bible says that if you want to show what love is, look at the cross. The, the Bible says that if you want to know what love is, look at the cross. The Bible says that if you want to live out love, look at the cross. See, the bottom line this morning that John reminds us of in those three short verses is that you and I have been saved by Jesus to live like Jesus. Jesus is our example, period. Jesus is our standard, period. Jesus loved indeed, not just in words. He didn't just say that he loved us. He showed that he loved us by providing what he could for what we needed. He didn't just talk to someone. See, to love in word means that you and I just, just talk about it. We talk about someone in need and how we wish they could be better off or how we wish they could find help how much we'd like to help, and that's loving someone with words. But loving someone in deeds means we actually do something about it. Can you imagine with me for just a moment this morning, as Jesus walked on this earth, if he only loved with words? Can you imagine that, that Jesus sees 5,000 people on a hill that have listened to him preach, and they're hungry, and he goes to his disciples, and instead of providing the miracle of feeding 5,000, he says, man, somebody should have brought some food. Why didn't we think about that? These people are going to starve. Well, we better figure out where we're going to eat. Can you imagine if when Jesus' robe was touched by the woman who had been bleeding most of her life, and Jesus looks into her eyes, and instead of healing her, he says, you know, someone should take care of your sickness. You should try another doctor. Can, can you imagine that when Jesus came on the demon-possessed man, instead of setting him free, he says, boy, that must be awful. If only someone could set him free. Can you imagine if Jesus looked at you and me in the depths of our sin? He said, man, that's rough. I hate, I hate that they are trapped in that sin. And boy, I hope somebody comes along that can set them free. And I could go on, but I, but I think you get the point. But don't miss this. 
us over and over and over again is that when we see someone who desperately needs something, and it's not always a tangible financial thing just for the record, when we see someone who needs something and we have that something that we could give them that would set them free, why would we not do that? See, Jesus saw our need and gave his life. John reminds us that because we are now in Jesus, if we see a brother's need and we have what we need to meet it, and yet we close our eyes, John asks a very pointed question this morning. He says, if you and I see someone who is in need and we have what they need and we close our eyes and we walk away, John's question is, how could God's love reside in somebody like that? And John's answer is more pointed than his question. John says the obvious answer is it doesn't. John says, well, why is this so important? Well, why is this John's cabinet door? Why does he say this over and over? And John says, because if, if you and I don't love people like Jesus, then, then, it, then it might mean that Jesus isn't in us, that we don't abide in Christ. James said something similar in his book in chapter 2 he says a brother and sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food and one of you says go in peace be warm to be filled but you didn't give him anything what good is that he says faith by itself if it doesn't have works it's dead why is this so important because John says in Christ we're supposed to be different John goes on as we finish our text this morning and he reminds us this is important because when we love other people, it reassures us. It reminds us and reassures us that we are in the truth. This is what he says, verse 19. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. We will reassure our heart before him. For where, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive for him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is God's commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another, just as he commanded us to. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. John says there are wonderful, beautiful, reassuring blessings that come when we love other people. John says there is an assurance, there is a reminder of whose we are when we live in love like Jesus. John tells us that when we love other people in the same way that Jesus did, it reminds us that we're in Jesus because we're living and loving like him. It reassures us that only somebody in Christ can love in the way that Jesus loves. And then John's very practical, and he tells us, he goes, the reality is it removes hindrances from your prayer life. Now, John is not saying that it's a magical formula, and if you walk out here and you love a couple people, then you can ask for a Maserati, and it shows up in your driveway. First of all, John didn't even know what a Maserati was. I'm not sure I do either, and I have no idea why that's the first one that popped into my head. John isn't saying it's a magical formula to get whatever you want. What John is saying is that when we love other people, we are now living in the will of God, and therefore... By, by practicality, our prayers are probably going to be more in line with what God desires. And John and other people in Scripture remind us that when we don't love God, when we are disobedient to God, it hinders our prayer life. Our prayer life is not effective. 
our spouses, God cannot hear our prayers. I crossed that one out in my Bible, but it's in yours. <laughs> Psalm 66. The writer says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. John says this loving thing is important because it places us in the loving, abiding presence of God. Jesus said in John 14, if anybody loves me, he'll keep my commandments, and my Father will love him, and he will come into him and make our home with him. John seems to indicate that we are greatly abiding in Jesus when we love like Jesus. That loving other people draws us into the presence of God. And that makes sense to
it with all of my might, but eventually it overflowed my world. She said, one day on my own accord, I got out of bed. I left my partner, and an hour later, I sat in a pew at Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. She said, that one ordinary day, I gave my life to Jesus. said, I came to Jesus open-handed and naked, and in this war of worldviews, Ken and his wife were there. The church that had been praying for me and welcoming me for years was there, and eventually Jesus triumphed over me and my sin. This beautiful story of Rosario's unlikely conversion demonstrates how important it is to show grace, kindness, began with a gracious letter from a man who followed Jesus in response to an incredibly hateful and hostile letter written against Christians. Rosario said the tone of the letter, along with the warm friendships of Ken and his wife that followed, were the primary factors that God used to bring her to faith in Jesus. And now, her as a wife and a mother with her husband and her children has a ministry to college students that is leading hundreds, if not thousands, of people to Jesus. Church, you cannot hate somebody in the pew. You cannot spite somebody in the kingdom of God. You cannot browbeat somebody in the kingdom of God. scholar Kent Hughes says, liking someone is a matter of personal preference. He said, but loving somebody is a matter of obedience to Jesus and his word. He said, loving penetrates beyond the superficial. It moves to the essence of a person. It overcomes obstacles in order to see the person as Jesus sees them. He says, then when you see that person in that way, it opens the door to acting towards that person in a Christ-like way. He says, loving people you don't like means you treat them as if you did. He says, you choose to act towards them in a way that is pleasing to Jesus, and it exhibits how Jesus would act towards them. The nature of Christian love is that it acts, it gives, and it expresses itself towards others in the same way that Jesus did towards you and me. Paul said, if you and I have faith that can move a mountain, it doesn't mean a hill of beans if you don't have love. The Justin Ralston translation. As the band comes this morning, I don't know about you, but it's overwhelming, isn't it? Like I read through 1 John and I get it. Like, I get why he's talking about loving people over and over and over and over again, because we're not doing it well. Like, it's, it's little words, right? Like, like when the Bible says, go love people, you go, yeah! And he says, no, go love people like Jesus. Who? Jesus loved people beyond what I normally do, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's, it's elevated. And, it, and it's over. Oh, it's overwhelming. Like, I totally get that the reason, John's like my parents, right? It's like me as a parent, like he's telling me over and over again because I'm not getting it. I'm not doing it. I'm not meeting Jesus' standard. And I read John and I think about how Jesus has loved me and I think about how I have failed so greatly in loving 
something that I know is true. I go back to where we started this morning. The reality is our parents, and if you're a parent like me, we tell our kids the same thing over and over again because they're not getting it. They're not listening. They're not doing it right. But here's what I know. My parents did that to me.